Hey, everybody. We have a great episode today on the podcast. We are going to be breaking down uh, the futurist, the idealist, and the preterist view of end-time eschatology. It's all part of our End Time series. I think this is part four of the End Time series. Isn't four that right? or five. Four. Yeah. yeah. doesn't really matter, though. It, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But uh, it's a, this is, a, again, uh, we have another theological heady one, but that's okay, man. We are trying to give to you, our listeners, something to, to hang on to some meat every once in a while. So I just want to encourage you to keep listening. Don't don't just switch it off. It's not as bad as you're making it sound. <laughs> I am making it sound pretty bad. That's my way of doing things. Undersell over deliver, brother. There, there you go. Know, oh, yeah. yeah. There you go. Anyways, so it's going to be a good episode. So sit back, grab a coffee, and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. <laughs> Hello, All Out Warriors. Welcome to another episode of All Out War. We are on episode number 33 or 34. I don't even know what this is anymore. <laughs> it's one of those. 30-something. Hey, what's up, Rosie? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Yeah? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Good. I can't complain. Yeah. Yeah. It's finally got good weather. Yeah. It, is, it was nice outside. Yeah. Oh, so I guess I'll start it off. <laughs> hey, did you know? Did you know? Okay, I got I, a bonus... Bonus one, because we were talking before here, and I looked it up. Yeah. So here's the bonus one first. The laugh track that you hear on sitcoms yeah. was recorded in the 1950s, and the standard, the industry standard uh, laugh track is called the Douglas Laugh Track. It was re- debuted in 1950 on the Hank McCune show. Sweet. Yeah. So- and uh, I was going to say, yeah, because we were talking about laugh tracks. And uh, it was like urban legend, and I'm not sure if this is correct, that they use the same laugh track. Yeah. And so on modern shows, like those people were recorded in the 50s. And so all the people you hear laughing are dead. They've been dead for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we have our own laugh track. We do. It's the live laugh track. We still have another live audience. That's awesome. Yeah. They're actually alive. They're actually alive. (laughs) Yeah. For today. For today. Okay. So that's a bonus one. Yeah. The other one I was going to say is, did you know? That the United States, this is kind of in touching with last week's, they had a camel corps. <laughs> the United States Army. Yeah. So they had the United States Camel Corps was a mid-19th century experiment by the United States Army in using camels as pack animals in the southwestern United States. While the It says, while the camels proved to be hardy and well-suited to travel through the region, the Army declined to adopt them for medical, m- military use. Why the Civil War? Ooh! So then they uh, they sold, they abandoned everything and sold the animals at auction. That's amazing. Yeah. Hey, I have a did you know related to that? Okay. Did you did you know that Australia is the largest exporter of camels in the world? That sounds. Oh yeah, I guess so. I mean, you would I think it would yeah. be like Saudi Arabia or like one of these Middle Eastern countries, like yeah. Egypt or maybe not Syria. Somewhere where they use them a lot. <laughs> right, yeah. right, where they ride them. It's, yeah, Australia's the largest exporter of camels. So there you go, did you know? There you go. I knew a guy that had kangaroos. We had a triple did you know. Yeah. I knew a guy that had kangaroos. <laughs> yeah, I love and, this. And he lived in North Carolina. <laughs> and he doesn't remember how he got them. You got to tell that story. This is an awesome story. Yeah. You can clean it up if you have to. Don't use Um, real names. Yeah, yeah. So there's this guy 
who is very, very, very independently wealthy. His parents started something, died, left him with money, and uh, he liked to party. <laughs> I'll just say that. <laughs> so anyway, he was telling this story that uh, he woke up when we, like, woke up, went outside, had this huge house um, on some cliffside, like, in North Carolina, just, like, beautiful multi-million dollar house and he like went outside into the backyard or something and he had these three kangaroos just hopping around <laughs> he just woke up and had kangaroos yeah i don't want to do his voice just right. just on the off chance yeah but it's absolutely hilarious voice and then he was just telling us he's like yeah man i just woke up there's these kangaroos hopping around the backyard and like, i didn't know what to feed him <laughs> i just gave him steak <laughs> <laughs> they're not even carnivores yeah they're herbivores. Well, he didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, how scary would it be if a kangaroo was a meat eater? Yeah. They could catch you. And I'm then sure. punch you. Punch you. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so he had them for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> and well, then... Uh, what kind of pet would that be? I wonder what kind of mess they would make. Yeah. They'd well, be... he, had, he had like people that took care of the house. Oh, so I'm so sure that they... they were. That was one of their new added responsibilities. Yeah. Like... Like, you ever see those trucks drive around? They're like doggy doo doo trucks and they like pick up your mess. They, yeah. they come in like your yard. Can you imagine if he hired one of them? Everything. <laughs> yeah. Human size. And he, he had multiple camels. Kangaroos. Or, I mean, yeah, kangaroos. Sorry. Yeah. Multiple kangaroos. Yeah. And then uh, he eventually had to get rid of them. And uh, I think they just donated them to a zoo. Man. Exotic pets. Yeah. Wonder what kind of shots they have to get. And like, I don't, I know that he did not do any of that. <laughs> They get rabies, and all of a sudden, it's a zombie outbreak. Oh, probably. But he said his dog liked hanging out with him. Oh, I bet. So they were fun. Yeah. Did uh Did you know that um there's zombie deer? Have you heard about the zombie deer? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, why don't you explain it, since... I don't know a whole lot about it. That's <laughs> why <laughs> I was hoping you would talk about it. Uh, no, the zombie deer, like, there's some kind of brain infection that they get through a virus. Isn't and... it like a parasite? Yeah, that, like, controls them and stuff like that? Yeah. And they, they're like... I think it's a violent i think and it's like a tick or something like that some kind of tick bite something like that mm. that it can control evil ticks man yeah um yeah anyways after cool. all that yeah. uh i was gonna say as an update since you threw out an update uh whenever you did yeah. recently um so we talked about on episode 25 because we had to look that up yeah that's the right one uh you taught the one about the cults you brought up the Raelian cult which is a ufo cult that is still active and stuff like that. Yeah. And so there's this weird rapper, like one of those mumble, I don't know, just some rapper that's really popular right now. His name is Kid Boo. <laughs> K-I-D-B-U-U. Oh, you. B-U-U, yeah. It's named after some like television character oh. from a cartoon. Okay. I don't know. Anyways. Hurubu. Yeah. So he kind of got big because he was talking about this my stomach yeah i thought i heard something there <laughs> yeah um he got big because he started telling people he was a clone <laughs> like there's interviews like all these you know he's like yeah i'm you know i'm Just i'm a, a clone. clone and so he said in an interview that the company that cloned him was called clone aid clone aid yeah so you look into the company clone i got, I got into a rabbit hole the other day okay so clone aid was like basically this startup that happened in like the early 2000s. They have a legit website and all this stuff. 
they claimed to have cloned a human embryo. You had talked about that. Mm -hmm. They had said they did that and they were looking for investors and stuff. Mm -hmm. So if you look at their website, they're connected with the Raelians. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So basically this guy, and if you, he has like all these tattoos. If you look at this one interview where he's talking about it, about being cloned or whatever. Yeah. He has like symbols from the Raelians. So basically like they, this UFO cult, this is the long and short of it is this UFO cult is pushing a rapper right now <laughs> to make money. It's just to make money. I think they got that from the Illuminati. Yeah. You know, the Illuminati always has these, you know, they pay for like people to like I Beyonce and all. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Okay. we're going to, we're going to do some episodes on that stuff later anyway. Yeah. So I don't want to give away our secrets for yeah. the future. Anyways. But there, yeah, there you go. So there's some did you knows and there's an update on a rapper who is funded by a uh, UFO cult. All right. Who's out there. We got, we had, we did a quadruple did you know. Yeah. That was pretty fun. It was fun. Yeah. So uh, you want to get into the episode? Sure. All right. So we're going to continue with our In Time series. This will be what, part four, I think, of I End Time know. series? Yeah. I think Maybe it's five. Part, I think it's four. Okay. But, uh, and... So basically, uh, in our previous end time series, we had talked about some aspects of kind of like um, the four horsemen. We talked about we talked about the Antichrist in particular, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we did talk a little bit about eschatology, which is really the, the how the end times play out. Mm-hmm. And and as I was doing some studying through some of that, looking at it, there's basically three views that are held, and all of the how it plays out can be kind of fit into one of these three views right now. Um, and so the, the one that we're not going to talk about at all is called the idealist or the I- idealism or idealist, um, you know, futuristic or uh, eschatological, eschatological view of the, of revelation. Yeah. And what, and, and that's, we're not going to talk about it because right. it's basically thinks that everything's just allegory. Right. It's all symbolism. Nothing has real meaning. There's no literals, in, in the book of Revelation whatsoever and all that. And, and it, that's just not, it's, uh, you have to really ignore massive sections of scripture in Daniel, in Matthew, in the book of Revelation itself to, to really not, to come to that point. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, pardon if someone out there listening is an idealist in this sense that it, pardon my, my comment on this, but it's somewhat ignorant. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to put it. Um, the nicest way. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, but then there's the futurist view, which is what a majority of evangelical Christianity holds to, and that's that things are going to play out in the future. They're mm-hmm. going to open up. They're going to. There's still things to happen. Um, most of Revelation is about future events that are going to happen and unfold over time at some point in the future. We don't know exactly when, but there's things that are that we believe would be signs that would indicate that our whole first one actually the whole reason we do this this we decided to do this in time series was an article that i read from jerusalem post about the building of the third temple yeah and um and that kind of kicked off my whole like where are we in this where are we right now if the temple gets built that's going to be pretty significant you know in relation to the antichrist and you can go back and listen to part one if you want to hear that then there's this view called praetorist and um i think when i sent you a text that one time i put (laughs) something about pedo pedo pedoist or something like that yeah. it, which would be like kid like i was thinking pedo baptism which is like infant baptizing 
um, which is a whole other episode. <laughs> but uh, it's not that. It's praetorist. And the word praetorist actually comes from the Latin word where we get our word pre, which means um, it derives from Latin and it's um, it really means... Um, before. Yeah, before prior. or fulfilled or happened. Yeah, like that. So, And, and so the basic praetorist view is that all of the prophecies in Revelation were fulfilled um, before 70 AD. Right. So basically, like, the really easy way to say it is, like, all the stuff that happened in Revelation, like, John was writing to a specific audience, like his contemporaries, saying, this is going to come shortly. Right. And I read something where it's saying that he was using coded language, basically, to in case it fell into the wrong hands that the people like his contemporaries would know, oh, okay, like 666 means Nero because, you know, like all the stuff that people use. The number of the beast. Right, right. right. Yeah, so yeah. they're using all these stuff that, you know, yeah. that his, in, so the argument is that his contemporaries would know exactly who he was talking about yeah. and be ready to expect it in their near future. Yeah. Their so lifetime. I don't know about that part of it, like the secret coding and all that stuff, but but the, what they the praetorists typically will do is they'll use Matthew chapter twenty four as kind of their proof text for what they believe, how they've come to believe, and and I will admit this first: when you start to look at what Jesus said in Matthew twenty four, and then you look at the events that happened after, uh, you know, the writing of John, um, the Re- Revelation, the final book of the New Testament. That you, when you look at it, you're like, man, that's a strong argument. And there's actually some very logical things that Jesus said and actually were fulfilled at 70 AD. And um, so um, it's important to understand that, you know, when you think about how they, how a praetorist is approaching this, um, there's strengths and weaknesses to it, just like there's strengths and weaknesses to futurists. And here's the other thing. I just want to give kind of a disclaimer here. <laughs> I'm not trying to convince anybody in any way. The beauty of end times prophecy and revelation is that it still has, well, holding the mind, <laughs> I guess I'm giving playing my cards as a futurist, but it has to happen mm-hmm. one way or another, and we're not going to change that. And so we just get to either observe it and walk through, live through it, or we'll die and we'll watch it happen unfold from the heavenlies if we can do that. But um, <laughs> well, I was going to say, even if it like already happened uh we're still gonna die right and go to heaven right right. so yeah uh, but it's significant for a couple reasons if it already happened and we'll talk about the weaknesses of of this viewpoint but one of the things that i do like about this viewpoint is it it relies heavily on the words of jesus in scripture for the end times Mm -hmm. and jesus spoke about the signs of the end end of the age that's exactly what chapter 24 of matthew is all about and so um it's really important for um for us to understand that there's certain aspects of it that I actually really like and actually do apply. A full praetorist, so there's there's different types of praetorists. You yeah. got semi-praetorists and uh, and full praetorists, and uh, and then there's people that like lean into it a little bit, but maybe there's their future praetorists or whatever. Like I, I'm, I just made that term up. So, but a full praetorist, in my opinion, is completely wrong. Because they have to deny the great white throne judgment, they have to deny the the binding up of Satan and the false prophet and the antichrist. And yeah, I was gonna that. say I heard this, which was really funny. That uh, yeah, if Satan is completely off the leash right now, yeah, that's this is kind of uh, 
He's or, not really doing too bad, or, right? You or, know, like it's not. Or if he's completely bound and he's already destroyed, yeah. Then we're really, really, really bad. Yeah. Because to think that there's no involvement in the world affairs by an outside source of spiritual darkness, you know, like Satan. Yeah. Or, you know, or fallen angels. So I thought we would just real quickly just walk through a little bit of Matthew 24 to set up sort of what the beliefs are on Praetorists, mm-hmm. and then we can um, and then we can talk about where the strengths and weaknesses are and of that kind of thing, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. How's that? Yeah. Okay, cool. So <laughs> I mean, you're going to do it regardless. So yeah, I got a ton of notes. So we're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I'm using my notes. Um, so Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is with his disciples. And um, it's, a, it's what they call the Olivet Discourse. It's when he takes them up to the Mount of Olives. And that's a significant uh, location in the end times as well. Uh, because futurists believe, and this is really interesting little fun fact here. I learned this when I went to visit Israel a few years ago. Um, so Jesus ascended. So he died on the cross. He stayed dead for three days, rose from the dead, hung out for 40 days. And then he ascended up into heaven. Where where he ascended up from up to heaven was from the Mount of Olives. Mm. And when you get into Acts, um, the very it's like either one or two Acts chapter one or two, or it might even be at the end of Matthew. I'll have to check real quick. Um, but uh, they're looking at Jesus as he ascended up into heaven. No, it is in Acts. Um, they're looking at Jesus as he ascended up into heaven, and this angel uh, says to him, "Why are you looking for the Son of Man? Don't you know that in the same way that he." left he will return mm-hmm. coming on the clouds and um and so you know they were just like in awe like if you can imagine jesus just yeah. you know going up and i don't know if it sounded like that or not but <laughs> bye guys <Whoop. laughs> that'd be kind of funny if he, if he had his own sound effects for <laughs> but uh so he's they say that he's going to return on a cloud mm-hmm and uh, I went to the Mount of Olives, and I was at the place where, uh, you know, the Mount of Olives is also the same place where Jesus went the night that he was betrayed, and he were, they were praying mm-hmm. um, in, an, in an olive garden. That's why they call it the Mount of Olives. There's a bunch of, there were a bunch of olive orchards. Did they have unlimited breadsticks there? <laughs> yes, in the olive garden. <laughs> Bring your date. It's going to be great. <laughs> unlimited breadsticks, all you can eat. Well, I mean, Jesus did turn... Feed a multiply, lot of people. He multiplied breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Olive Garden is like they, they tapped into it. They're in the. They're doing kingdom work, man. Yeah, they're Chick Fil A and Olive Garden. Oh there my you God. go. You got the Lord's Chicken House, as my buddy calls it, which I love, and uh, and then you got Olive Garden, which is we should go there. We should do a live podcast <laughs> from the Olive Garden. <laughs> I wonder if they'd let us. They'd be like, get out of here. You get out of here. You will get out of here. You go eat some breadsticks and get out of here. <laughs> Uh, all right. Now that I've offended every Italian, um, so the Mount of Olives, he ascends up into into heaven from the Mount of Olives. But it tells us that he he will come back in his in 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 Old Testament prophecy. It says that his foot will touch the Mount of Olives when he returns his second time, and a great earthquake is going to happen. It's going to split Jerusalem, hmm. and then the Messiah will enter into Jerusalem through the western gate. I think it's the western gate. Uh, it might be the eastern gate, but I think the rabbis would enter through the eastern gate. So I'm just. I don't remember the exact location, but it's. But what is amazing is that the Muslims, so when they took control of the of the Temple Mount, one of the things they did is they sealed up a bunch of 
of the gates. Mm. Um, so you can't go up into the rabbi's gates, which are the, which would be rabbi's steps. You can go up to the steps, but they sealed off the entrance into the temple. There's only one way up into the Temple Mount, and it's actually right. on the western. So it would be the eastern wall. The eastern wall, eastern gate is where he's going to enter back in. And so uh, when he uh, ascends, the Muslims, when they took over, they built a cemetery uh, in front of the eastern gate <laughs> because they believed that the Messiah wasn't allowed to touch anything unclean. And so they put a bunch of dead bodies in front of it, you know, a Muslim cemetery, and uh, then he wouldn't be able to, um, you know, touch the dead, you know, the dead people. And I mean, so it, it, it would prohibit him from going into the, entering into the temple. It's good logic, man, right? It's very carnal, <laughs> carnal logic, but you forget he raises the dead. Yeah. So he could just be like, get up and I'll judge you later, <laughs> you know, and then, and then come in, right? Yeah. But they say it's going to cause a massive earthquake anyways and split the whole valley. It sits. There's a valley that sits between the Mount of Olives and, and the Temple Mount area. It's really actually a pretty, pretty amazing view from over there. Yeah. So, so anyways, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives when he has this conversation, and we get to Matthew 24 finally. Mm-hmm. So that after like 20 minutes of me meandering to this point, so Matthew chapter 24. There's a ton of verses. It's like 50 verses in the 51 verses in the whole chapter. I'm not going to hit them all, but I'm going to hit a couple key verses. Uh, the first key verse that I want to bring up is in at the first three, first three verses. Jesus says, Jesus left the, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to to him to call his attention to its buildings. So he's they're looking at the Temple Mount. Now you got to remember at this point Herod the king was doing this huge. Uh, he was rebuilding all of the stuff there and making it really beautiful. He, he expanded the Temple Mount area from a three-acre plot to about a 30-acre plot. Mm-hmm. He leveled it out. He built big uh, retainer walls, and um, and he just made the whole Temple Mount area. He was doing a re, 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 you know, like a rehab on the temple, painting it, all that kind of stuff, getting it set right. And, um, and, and mainly because at that point, whenever they would have Passover once a year, there would be like millions of people that would show up in Jerusalem, and they'd have to slaughter all of these sheep, you know, for the Passover festival for the week. And he wanted it to look good, right? You know, and they made a lot of money too. That was another side of it. <laughs> so, uh, so they're looking at all of that stuff, and and they they they, they call Jesus' attention to look at the buildings, and he, they say. Do you see these things, he asked. Jesus says, do you see these things, he asked. He says, truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So he makes this prophetic declaration that everything that was done right there, all all of these stones that were built, these retaining walls, the temple itself, it's all going to be torn down. And not one stone will be left on another. Well, we know that that prophecy that Jesus spoke was actually fulfilled in 70 AD mm-hmm. when they when the Romans attacked the the t- city of Jerusalem left it decimated and caused massive desolation people left all these things and um and one of the things they did is they tore down the temple the holy temple that was built with by Ezra and Nehemiah and those guys when they came back after the 70 year um exile exile right so um, we do know that that was fulfilled. So that that prophecy was actually fulfilled in 70 AD. So not one stone will be left on another. And you can go there today, and there's still piles of stones that that are left over from That's cool. 70 AD. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And I actually took a um, I took a tour. You can go down 
on the Western Wall, you know, the Wailing Wall is what they call the Western Wall. And um, it's the the reason that it's the, the Wailing Wall is so popular, the Western Wall is so popular, is because they believe, the Jewish people believe, that that is the closest place to the actual temple it's still that would there. would have been standing right, that right. they can get today. So they would stuff prayers in the wall and yeah. you know that type of thing because they believe that it's the closest place they could have they could get to the temple. Mm-hmm. Well, you can go along the western wall and there's a tunnel that they dug down, and you can go all the way down to the original foundations of what would have been the western wall. Hmm. And there is a stone there that's a single cutout stone, and Herod would have done this. It's the size of a bus, like a wow. commercial bus. It's huge. It weighs tons. And they it's kind of perplexing because they don't really know if they had the technology at that point. Well, obviously they did have it <laughs> at some way, but they don't know what technology they had at that point to really make something like that happen. Um, obviously they had lots of slave labor and that kind of stuff. So it's aliens. It was aliens. <laughs> so this is where it takes a weird turn. Jesus is an alien. He was yeah. a Raelian. <laughs> no. Um no, that was that was a lot. I just lied to everyone. Um, so, uh, anyways, so he that prophecy was fulfilled. Then he, Jesus goes on, and it says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming of the end of the age? So, they're asking him to f- explain, you know, when it's going to happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So they're asking him three. Different things there, mm-hmm. so so they want to know when's going to happen, what's going to be the sign, and um and at the end of the age, like when's the end of the age going to be, like when when's this going to happen, and and this is important. Jesus doesn't directly answer them, which he does this most of the time in the gospels, especially when he's speaking to his disciples, because he's trying to not only teach them but prepare them. Mm-hmm. And it, Jesus answered in verse four. It says, "Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many." You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So he's indicating there that at some point there's going to be wars, rumors of wars. There's going to be, um, you know, he, he goes on to say famines and he talks about earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And he specifically mentions that those things are going to be the birth pains of the end. And so, um, so as a futurist would look at these, they'd say, okay, well, we're going to start hearing about wars. We're going to start hearing earthquakes. Ironically, um, I saw a study in earthquakes. There was a, uh, there's been an increase in earthquakes mm-hmm. and over the, they did, they're doing, you know, they can do estimates from like they, they've been recording for a hundred years or whatever, Yeah. but they can, they can kind of take the sample and they can go backwards and figure out what, it, you know, a, a good estimate and in the future, what the good estimate is. It's actually increasing. Hmm. Um, it's increasing dramatically. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake. A lot of people don't realize this. There was an hmm. earthquake so bad that it split uh, uh, buildings and tombs opened up, hmm. and people were resurrected from the dead. And a lot of people believed at that point that that was the resurrection that they, that Jesus right. mentioned, of, but it wasn't the resurrection. There's still a res- great resurrection to happen. Um, and Praetorists would look at that as in the same way. Mm-hmm. And say, so, yeah, that was the great resurrection. You know, if that's the great resurrection, we're screwed. Yeah. Because I'm looking forward to that resurrected body. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and that's not the only reason. Obviously. Right, right. Not just because I want it, but <laughs> but scripturally. But uh, so he says that there's going to be these signs that are going to happen. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. Well, there was a great war that happened, and it was what, 70 AD when they came in and just, just leveled the entire city of Jerusalem. 
Um, but he, Jesus said that these will be a sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So they're distinguishing the end of the age and his coming as two different events. Mm-hmm. And this is important because as a praetorist, you'd say that that all happened. And so when a praetorist talks about his coming, when we talk about who, like when in Acts 1, as I re- referenced, the angels said, hey, will you look at him go up into the sky like an angel, like coming in the clouds, he's going to come in the same manner back again on the clouds with his angels. Um, the coming of the Lord can be misinterpreted in a couple different ways, and in the cloud of the Lord. Um, and I actually heard a guy talking about it. There's a, a really great uh, resource on Praetorists, um, and I'll have to look it up before the end of the thing here, before the end of the podcast, and I'll mention it if I can, or I'll put it in the show notes or something. But um, he was basically saying, well, that can be interpreted m- many different ways. And it was sad because I understand what he was doing, but he, he his his attempt to interpret was actually misinterpreting, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, because he would say, yeah, in Isaiah, they prophesied that the the judgment of God was going to come on Assyria, that God was going to come. And, and the wording in that Isaiah uses is that he's going to come like a great cloud with thunder and lightning. Right. right? So the day, and it was called the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Well, the day of the Lord is traditionally used as a sign of judgment. It's in reference to judgment. So when, when Paul would talk about that day of the Lord, or when John would speak of it, or when Jesus would speak of it, it was in reference to a final judgment, a judgment of God that was going to occur at some level. And obviously, yeah, God was judging the nation of Israel for killing the Messiah. Like there was, when when Israel, when when uh, Rome comes in and levels the, destroys the temple, that was a judgment of God. And one thing that I agree with, with the Praetorists, is they believe that Hebrews talks about how the book of Hebrews talks about the old covenant is becoming obsolete. It's actually fading away and the new covenant's being introduced and it's becoming alive. And, and uh, they, they referenced the, the destruction of the temple was the final like end of the old covenant because now the Jews could no longer practice sacrifices. They had no place to go. Right. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so they say that's a fulfillment. And I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree with that 100%. I do agree that God was judging Israel. They were apostate. And that that's a pretty clear like sign <laughs> almost like God's like, "Okay, listen, look. I'm going to destroy yeah, destroy the temple because I right here. It's right here." Right. Yeah. yeah I, you know. Yeah. And and but see, I would say it happened even before that because when Jesus died on the cross, you have to go back just a little bit further. Right. right. The what happens in the temple? The curtain rips. Mm-hmm. The curtain rips revealing the Holy of Holies, which meant that that was no longer the most sacred Needed. space, yeah, yeah. you know, on the planet, that that was now exposed and it was done. Mm-hmm. And so the Shekinah glory of God, the judging the Holy of Holies, as they would call it, was now completely removed from there. And so, and then Paul would clarify for us that a believer becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit right, now. Right. So that veiled that veiled ripped veil now is exposed and now it takes it takes residence in a human temple mm-hmm. we are gods that's what i was trying to say no i'm just kidding <laughs> but uh so i so let me get back on track here so they would say that that was the the judgment of god the the coming of the clouds was like the judgment of god coming on israel and all of that but that isn't yes that can be used in isaiah that there is a reference to the day of the Lord and the coming of the cloud of the of the Lord, and but it's also got attached to it what thunder, lightning. It's this attribute of God of judgment of coming in great, you know, really fear and dread mm-hmm. to in- inflict on a nation that he had 
wanted to inflict his judgment on because yeah. he needed to. And but when Jesus comes back returning on the clouds that these angels reference in Acts, and then you you hear about it in other places in the scripture, it's about judging the whole earth. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna come down to establish finally his kingdom. And this is where the misinterpretation comes in. Uh, so let's move on a little bit more, because um, I want to get through this a little bit. Uh, so when you get down to verse uh, verse 10, it says, um, At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. That did happen. Uh, we talked about this last in our last episode, I believe, where we were talking about the dilemma of believers when they would fall away during the persecution, mm-hmm. and they would, like, for their own survival, they would deny Christ, and then they would come back in the church later when the persecution ended, and they were like, do we let them back in? Do we not let them back in? That that did happen. And it was a dilemma for the early church, but grace won. Mm-hmm. Grace always wins. So they extended grace and they allowed them to repent come back, and yeah. come back in. Yeah. And I bet you they never did it again. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I just think that would actually like embolden someone's faith even that I was received back into this. I don't deserve it. Yeah. You know, I'm never going to die. It's not worth it. Right. I'd rather die and see them. Uh, you know, so uh, you go on a little bit further. He says there's going to be increase of wickedness. Uh, he says, uh, and he says, and this gospel, verse 14, in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Hmm. In 70 AD, the gospel had only reached a portion of the of the Levant. Right. Uh, Jesus said in the Great Commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. You know, make disciples, teaching them, remind, reminding them of everything I did. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, that was a kind of a, a mashup of the Great Commission <laughs> kind of thing, yeah. that you can find in Matthew and and Mark's gospel. So, but the gospel had not reached every nation at that point. Mm-hmm. Paul was responsible for bringing forth really into the Gentile world and kind of laying the groundwork for it to be able to spread into other areas of the world. And to this day, it's there's still great portions of of nations that don't have the gospel mm-hmm. that have never heard. Right. I mean, the 1040 window, for instance. I was just talking with a friend of mine who's a missionary in uh, China, uh, somewhere in 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 Eastern Asia, someplace. I don't know. If it wasn't China. It might be Singapore. It might be Thailand. I can't remember where he is exactly. He actually moves around quite a bit. Yeah. But um, uh, I was talking with him. He's in that 1040 window. And um, what's the 1040 window? So 1040 window is the 1040 window is known by a lot of people. It's actually the latitude longitude grid on a on a globe. Mm-hmm. If you believe that the world is actually round, <laughs> 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 which I do, um, but uh, it, it's a, it's that 1040 latitude longitude window. It's a it's a space where 70 percent of the population of the planet lives, but less than 10% know the gospel. Okay, there you go. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 70% of the population. So you got India, China, you got the middle, whole Middle East in there. So <laughs> all of the Islam and, and everyone that's actually violently opposed to the gospel lives, lives there. Yeah. And so it's been very difficult to get the gospel in there. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says there that the kingdom of God will be preached into, you know, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations... It's, it hasn't been fulfilled yet. So would they say that what he meant was on a very localized level? Or, well, or do they even have any response to that? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that would be a weakness, in my opinion. And yeah. here's the thing that I love about Praetorists, is that it's a very open... They're, like, I've never met... Like, they're a, not Calvinists? Actually, a lot of Calvinists hold to Praetorists' okay. views. Um, but <laughs> they do. But, but um, I, 
what I've found is they're very generous. Like okay. they understand these things, but they could point to things that I believe in futurism or futurist right, uh, eschatology right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and say, well, what about this and what about that? And I don't really have a great answer for it. Gotcha. You know, I'm not that smart anyway. So, <laughs> but they are very generous with it. And I actually love just talking about it. Like for me, it's not like, hey, you're wrong, I'm right, and I'm right, and you're wrong. Right, because this isn't a salvation issue. It's not. That's the greatest so thing about this it. This is totally cool that. Right, whatever. You... It's like it's like me saying Duran Duran was the best band of the '80s, <laughs> and you're like, no way, man. Motley Crue was, and I'm like, whatever, dude. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, hung, yeah. hungry like the wolf. Um, <laughs> nobody, no, you guys don't even know it, right? You guys, don't, no. uh, yes, we do. you guys know Duran yes. Duran? Yes. They're a great band. They're classic rock, right? Classic, very classic, old. Not I was very old. What? Come on, so old. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> All right, yeah, they're old. Ancient. Okay. Then, then there's another thing. So then he goes on right after he says it's going to be preached in the whole nations. Then he says this is key verse. Do you want to know it? Please. Okay. Verse 15 of Matthew 24. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. And so remember when we were talking about the temple that needs to be there? Mm -hmm. How can the abomination that causes desolation stand if the temple's destroyed? The abomination is the one who desecrates the temple, who proclaims right. to be God, who says, I am God, I deserve to be worshipped. It's not this one God you know, of Abraham, Isaac, and Is that and what Daniel, Daniel says that, Yeah, right? he talks about it's going to be the Antichrist. Right. The Antichrist is going to somehow breathe life into this, uh, well, it's crazy. Some people think it could be like a, um, AI, yeah. you know, which would be crazy. But um, An image. An image, yeah. yeah. And it's an image of the beast, and, and it breathes life into it, and it can speak, and it can prophesy, and it can do weird things, and... So it's got some kind of weird power connection somehow that deceives many. Mm -hmm. If the temple isn't there, how can he do it? See, so this is where some holes, gaping holes, kind of start to fall apart with Praetorist views. And I'm sure that there's some good responses to these things. Um, I just haven't been able to see them or find them. And I've been looking. I mean, there's an actual website I was on earlier today. It's PraetoristView.com or something like that. Mm -hmm. like, like, like literally they like, yeah. you know, give it. Um, so let's move on a little bit further. Okay, verse 22, in those days, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And so um, they're talking about... Is that why Calvinists like it? Because the elect? <laughs> well, the elect. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know what the original Greek was in that verse. <laughs> yeah, I'm just giving you Jesus yeah. was probably speaking Aramaic when he was speaking to him. Yeah. But um, so uh, when it talks about the days being cut short, you know, being shortened for all that, you know, um, it's just really, a, it's a tribulation period. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a period of tribulation that unlike anyone else has seen, like any other time in history, he says, there's gonna be false messiahs. There's going to be, you know, uh, people that are just not, um, that are going to, uh, be falling away, things like that. Um, wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines. There, ironically, there was a famine that happened. We re, You can read about it in Acts. Remember, Paul took up an offering, and there was a guy named Agabus. And Agabus was a prophet in the, in the book of Acts. And he hung out with Paul for a while. I forget, it might have been like 14 or 15, Acts chapter 14 or 15, but he actually tied Paul's hands. He took his belt off of Paul, and he tied his hands up, yeah, and he yeah. says... The owner of this belt, in the same manner that his hands are tied, will be led to Jerusalem or led to Rome. Um, basically, he was foretelling the future of Paul that 
and, and Paul was resolute that he had to go to Rome anyways. And yeah. he, but he was basically saying, you're going to, you're going to die. And everybody wept. It, I remember it was on the beach in Ephesus and, and, um, and so all of them wept, but Agabus actually prophesied about a famine <laughs> to come and a famine, a great famine did come. Uh, it was a really bad one. And so they ended up, um, they ended up having a famine, but he said there will be famines, right? Not just a single famine that would happen. And we've had other famines. I mean, when I was a kid, when I was young, they had farm aid, and we are the world because there was a famine in Ethiopia. Yeah, right. I mean, there's still lots of hungry people. Tons, yeah. It's just crazy, but um, but uh, anyway, so so uh, that those are some key things there. Um, and then then when you get a little bit further around in chapter thirty or verse thirty six, that area. Jesus gives some really amazing prophecies about his return, which mm-hmm. are pretty stellar. So he says, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass there, the vultures will gather. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain that in just a second. And it says, Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. All right, so let's just stop there for just a second. So... Uh, he talks about uh, lightning from the east and the west, and we talk about the coming of the Lord is going to be like the twinkling of an eye. We're told in Thessalonians, it, it'll be like we'll be caught up in the air like a twinkling of an eye. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I believe that's a reference to the actual. You could use that as a reference for the rapture to support that in some way. Um, and uh, it also so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. That is a euphemism, a Jewish euphemism and you have to understand who he's speaking to why he's saying what he's saying in the way that he's saying it and this is something that dr michael heiser really enlightened me to probably about two years ago mm-hmm. when or maybe even less than that um talking about reading the old testament through the eyes of a second That's, temple yeah. jew you know um somebody that so when they would speak even when paul would write the audience that he, he was speaking to he i don't know if paul was necessarily, and in fact, I highly doubt Paul was necessarily thinking about two thousand years in the future. Right. His writings being used f- the way that they're being used today, right, to help keep doctrine in place. But he was speaking with a purpose, and so um, and to a specific audience, to a specific audience, and using phrases that they would. Understand. And Jesus was famous for this. I mean, every parable. When you look at all the parables, which he spoke a lot of the parables. There's, I would love to do a study on just the parables at some point, mm-hmm. but uh, he. He uses examples that they would have understood, right? Farming and agriculture, and you know, uh, building and all these other different things. The way that they would have done things then, it was real world, real examples that would had kingdom principles or, or you know, principles of his kingdom. Yeah, that the that the common man right. understood, and he can make a connection. Yeah, and that was the whole point. And so when he says, "Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather," that is in reference to. And I remember reading this. That is a reference to. Um, it's a euphemism for a Jewish euphemism that's in reference to false teachers. Hmm. So, uh, so you okay. can see where there's a yeah, carcass. Yeah. They vultures they, feed on this, and so they're taking advantage. They're flocking to right. hear the right the false teacher. Yeah. yeah. So, um, he, so he's talking about like. What's the what's the condition going to be of the world at that point mm-hmm. when he returns? And it's going to be like in a flash of light, like a lightning, but it will be undeniable. You can see it from the east and the west. Lightning lights up the whole sky, and um, and he says it's going to be like the coming of the Son of Man. 
And then um, he talks a little bit more about what it's going to be like. There's going to be distress in those days. But then he says the sun will be dark and the moon. Okay, so he talks about <laughs> the all the Yeah. Right. But, but this is an amazing situation here because he's talking about the, the sun being dark and the moon not giving its light. That hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. So if 70 AD, that all happened, and that was, you know, I know that the, so there was a moment when Jesus died on the cross that the sun was darkened. Uh, the Gospels tell us that. It became like dark as night for just a moment when he died. That's not what Jesus was Was that a solar eclipse? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. I never really thought about that. Hmm. It just became dark. I mean, maybe cloud cover yeah. could have been anything. But it says that it became like night when Jesus, the moment that Jesus died. Right. Um, and they, but the stars didn't fall from the sky mm-hmm. in that moment, you know, um, heavenly bodies might've been shaken in that moment. I mean, I know that the earth was shaken. Yeah. Um, but the, the, then, then, um, so that's still yet to happen. Now there's an interesting verse in revelation that talks about during the thousand year reign. This is pretty cool. The thousand year reign, there'll be no need for the sun right. or the moon because the brilliance of the glory of God will shine. So is that a reference to that those things are going to happen and then mm-hmm. because Jesus establishes a thousand-year reign that he's, his brilliance and glory just lights up the universe from Jerusalem, New Jerusalem? Sure seems to make sense I to mean, me. I mean, it connects there to me. I don't yeah. know, you know. I'm, but anyways, uh, then he goes on to say, he's talking a little bit more about what kind of signs to look for. Um, now, can you imagine being one of the disciples hearing this? Yeah. I'd be like, what? My head's going to blow up. Like, <laughs> can you just make the bread again? <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, it, I, I, I already can't imagine just hanging out with Jesus. So anything, <laughs> I mean, I could probably handle all this stuff. The Italian disciple was like, hey, make us some bread. <laughs> I can't handle this stuff anymore. It's I a actually, me, Mario. I actually got into a fight all right, uh, with the uh, Italians. Uh, I was gonna stop. <laughs> all, all of Italy. No, 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 no. Wait, uh, never mind. I totally My forgot. My nickname is Mussolini. No. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to no, go no, on. No, never mind. It wasn't the Italians. It was Catholic about the Italian thing. Go on. Oh, never mind. Okay. Go on. Go all, on, right, go on. Yeah. all right. Sorry. All right. Where, you okay. ruined it. So then, verse uh, verse thirty says, uh, uh, um, "Then there, will, then will appear a sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and all then all the peoples of the earth will mourn." When they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. All right, what do we know about that? Revelation chapter 3, loud trumpet call. Mm-hmm. Right, so this is dovetailing with some stuff in Revelation. That's why praetors say, oh yeah, this has all happened already. Um, but we would look at it as that's going to be a future event of the rapture. Because we didn't hear a loud thorn. Yeah, where was the loud trumpet call back in 70 AD or 69 or whatever? Um, All right, so with a loud trumpet call, uh, hold on, I lost my place here. All the people here for morning to see the man coming with the power and glory. And he sent his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the heaven, from one end of the heaven to the other. I mean, if that's not a clear picture of the rapture, I don't know what else you can get. Mm -hmm. Trumpet call, trumpet blast. You get to Revelation chapter 3, there's no mention of the church, ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church. There's no mention of the church in Revelation chapter after Revelation chapter 3 with the loud trumpet call. You get into chapter 4, and you don't see it again until chapter 20, I think, is the next time you see it. So the church is completely removed from the earth uh, at, that po- at that moment. 
and great distress. So this is why some people would say, oh, maybe it is a mid, mid-trib rapture because of all of the distress and all that. But the distress comes halfway. Well, Jesus is speaking to the He's speaking to the people who God is there to discipline. Mm-hmm. And so this, there's a couple of things. Like remember, we had asked, what's the purpose of Revelation? Mm-hmm. What's the purpose of that book being given? And what's the purpose behind the tribulation and the seals and, the, and, and all of these bold judgments? Those, those things, the purpose of those is just like any other person that belongs to God. God is disciplining them. And he's after the Jewish people that have turned against the gospel and hardened their hearts. And Paul says that he's kind of leaving them still for a while and he's turned his attention to the Gentiles and until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, he then, returns to the Jews. Then he'll turn his attention back to the Jews because right. he knows that that's his the apple of his eye. Those are the chosen ones. Those are the those are Abraham's, you know, offspring. Mm-hmm. Such and such and such. So, the great distress, the tribulations, those are all stored up for those people whom God is after. Those that belong, we escape the judgment. I mean, people say, oh, well, your futurists are so escapist. You're like, and I've said it, like, it would be a great day if you want to come back today, Lord. If you want to just rapture the church today, I'm down. Yeah. Today sucks, you know? And then, and that sounds so, like, I don't know, escapist or whatever. But the truth is, is that is a hope that we get to hang on to. And it's been given as a gift. In fact, Peter says, you should encourage one another with these words, talking about the return of the Lord. Yeah. So it's like, it's a source of encouragement for us to hang on to the hope of this is as bad as it's going to get. Yeah. You know, for a believer, this is as bad as it's going to get. For an unbeliever, this is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> right. That's pretty That's yeah. pretty stark to think about. Yeah. So um, then Jesus finishes out the chapter. And I, I haven't done every verse, but I've done a lot of verses, yeah, yeah. I know. But he says, the day and the hour is unknown. And it says uh, in, in verse 36, but about the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so... Yeah, this is where it's important to think about. So a praetorist view says, oh, this is all going to, Jesus is prophesying this is all going to happen in 70 AD, blah, blah, blah. Jesus doesn't know when this is going to happen mm-hmm. and all of that. And so he's, he, why would he be speaking of something that's going to happen in that moment that's just around the corner? And the big verse, the big verse is that he says, there are going to be some of you that will not die or will not pass away before these things come to pass. Hmm. And so he's meant, so this is where praetors go, yeah, well, see this, there was people that when Jesus was speaking in, on the Mount of Olives in this moment, they were alive in 70 AD. It was only like 35 years later. Right. So there wasn't, there was some young people there. They might've been older when this happened. Um, they might've been in their 60s or 70s when it happened even. Um, and so it was very simple to say that they would have been alive to see these things happen. happen. But, Here's here's how I view it. So, well, let me let me finish on because this is connects to my big okay. idea, my big yeah, idea yeah. for this thing. Yeah. Um. So then he's then he gives them a warning of how to live in regards, and this is for us today. He's like, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day the Lord will come, and that's what I've been saying through this whole end time series. Is like, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> What, how it plays out, what really matters is how you live your life. Right. And that's really all that does matter. And and this is the, the big picture of everything is that Jesus wants his gospel to go forward and to all the nations and reach all the people so that none will miss 
the opportunity to, to live forever, you know, in eternity. And so we have to keep watch because we don't know what day. So we have to guard our hearts. We have to guard our lives, what we think about, where we, what we do even. Because he goes on there and he talks about it's like a thief in the night. He says, you don't know. And he says, if you knew when the thief was going to come, you'd lock all your doors and you'd right. protect. So you don't know when he's going to come. So you have to prepare as though he is going to come. Um, and, and he says, um, he goes and he says, it's going to be the same way as it was in the days of Noah. Hmm. And he talks about how the people were drinking and eating and marrying and just basically living life. Like not a, like it's going to go on like this forever. Um, Peter talks about how, and Peter would have been in this conversation with Jesus. He goes on to talk about when he wrote his two um, epistles, he says, people are going to make fun of us because they're like, oh, where's the coming of this Lord you talk about? Like they're going to actually mock us for having faith in a returning Messiah. Right. And I'm starting to see that happen. Oh, yeah. You, you know, like more openly and outwardly, like people are mocking Christians because we believe in a return of our Messiah. Well, I was going to say, I, I I think even mocking us because they, the, the, like nowadays, that's too theologically sound. Like they like for someone to uh-huh. mock us because like, oh, you believe Jesus is going to come back? <laughs> yeah. It seems like they know too much about the Bible. <laughs> or they're just ignorantly fulfilling scripture. And you're like, oh, let me show but you something. I can't, like, I can't imagine like Amy Schumer or, you know, some super liberal that always hates on Christians or something. Yeah. Specifically saying, oh, yeah, you're Jesus. Where is he coming back? You know what I mean? Like that, that seems like they know too much about the Bible. And I don't believe that. <laughs> The people that make fun of Christians even know about that much about the well, Bible. Well, what happens is they hear a believer warn them, "Hey, you you need you need to repent. He's coming back. You're going to be judged." And they're like, "Oh yeah, he's going to come. Where is he? It's been two thousand years. You know, where's your Messiah now, sucker?" All of a sudden, you know, <laughs> trumpet blows. Um, so then he also says that, uh, and there's here's one telling thing that is interesting to me. He says, "But suppose." That servant, or okay, so he goes on, he talks about, I'm just gonna read this last little section. He says, okay. he says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of all the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Food at the proper time. So there's somebody that's that's a basically a servant who's over other servants who's feeding them. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, hold that thought. Okay, and then he says... Uh, it will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. In other words, feeding and taking care of as a, as a form of leadership, mm-hmm. a servant leader. And he says, um, it'll be good for him when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will be put in charge of all of his possessions. In other words, if you're found faithful doing what he's asked you, you'll, you'll get great rewards. Um, he says, but suppose that servant is wicked. And he says to himself, my master is staying away a very long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and, and eat and drink with drunkards. The ma- You're laughing at that. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he's not aware of, and he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's no orthodontist down there to help you out then. Uh, so um, that those verses right there have to deal with the church. Mm-hmm. They're talking about church leadership because he says in there, uh, a wise, faithful wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household and to give them their food at proper time. Jesus said clearly that man shall not live by bread alone. Mm-hmm. He said, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And one of the one of the discharge duties of the quote unquote leaders of the church, Ephesians 4 
tells us that God has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And so two of the aspects of the church leadership are shepherds, overseers, and teachers. And teachers would take God's word, the food of God, the bread of God's word, and feed it to God's servants, God's mm-hmm. people. And he says, so um, he says, if, if he finds us doing that faithfully, giving God's word to God's people, you know, those that are in charge. I mean, this is actually, this podcast is sort of a little bit of that. We'll be found faithful. We'll be given opportunities to lead um, in his kingdom, which just makes me get like really excited. You know what I'm saying? To think that God would say, hey, here's some possessions you get to be in charge of. That, all it's right. kind of scary, right? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't, I was going to say I'm grateful for everyone that listens, but I don't think everyone wants to listen to me more. Than, <laughs> <laughs> like it can't get away. Well, what if he gives it to you and he's like, Turner, help him. <laughs> I'm like, sweet. Yeah. Like, I just want to be a, I'll do, I'll do anything, man. I'll hold the gates open for people coming in. Yeah. I don't care. I'll do whatever. Just let me get there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, same. that's how I feel. I feel the same way. But then he talks about the, the, the wicked ones who get drunk and they're hanging out and they're like, <laughs> they're beating the other servants. Yeah. They're beating. <laughs> well, I just, I started laughing because I just picture like this, this servant who's like doing really well and. It's like, okay, you know, maybe he'll keep some more for himself, cause, but not just straight up start beating all his friends. <laughs> Give me like, your bread. Just because the guy, uh, the master's gone, he just starts getting super violent with everyone. I know. That's, I can't. That's why I was just laughing. Well, what's crazy is that you think that the master who's wise put him in charge. Right. Knowing yeah. him. Like, knowing it. So anyways. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some of the, um, I just want to talk about some of the problems. With- I was going to say uh, one thing with that, that Jesus... was. Also warns that there's going to be uh, with the the great white throne of judgment that those who are given positions uh, over yeah. the flock are going to be judged even harsher. Though they have they will more. Uh, yeah, every word um, that is spoken is going to be judged. Yeah, every idle word. <laughs> I know, right? I'm a talker too, man. So I'm, but you know, the the beauty of this is grace. Yeah, yeah, and um, and also the, those that lead people astray. He says it'd be better for a millstone tied around your neck than to lead one of my little ones astray. And that is a powerful verse. He says, a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. Actually, I didn't finish the whole phrase. Yeah. That You're not coming up for air. You're done. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so I, so I have a problem and then I have a, I have a kind of like an answer to kind of marry the futurist preterist view okay. that I think would actually help a lot of people. Because if, if you start to look into preterist view... It's very appealing. It has a lot of answers, and it and it settles a lot of kind of questions in a in one sense, but it doesn't answer some questions that are that are more engaging further down the road that we brought up, right yeah. beyond seventy AD. Some yeah. of the things I brought up, yeah. So I have an answer for that, and and it's kind of simple. And I'm sure that they've heard of this before, but it kind of dawned on me. I was actually taking a walk today with my dog, and and I was thinking about this what we we're going to talk about tonight, and and I was like, wait a second, there's a Book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. There's certain rules that we have that are really helpful for interpreting prophecy. And one of those rules is this interpretation method called near-far Bible interpretation or prophecy interpretation. Mm-hmm. And near-far means this. It's very simple. There were moments in history, biblically, where prophecy was spoken and it had direct implications immediately in a near span of like in the next 50 years or whatever. But then it also had 
double meaning, meaning that it was going to be something that would have implications down the road. And so we see this, um, like, in, for instance, um, an example of this would be... Um, uh, Ezekiel. Well... I was thinking okay. it's a little bit more general than that. Ezekiel's kind of far out there, but they're like, all right, for instance, like Genesis, mm-hmm. Genesis chapter, um, chapter one. No, uh, hold on. I should have probably looked some of these up, shouldn't I have? But time was running short, and I had to walk my dog. <laughs> but the you mean prince, the rat? The hey, my dog's not a rat. Stop it. It's under fifty pounds. It's a rat. Hey, you have cats. So what does that make them? Right, cats. No, That's, they're I under fifty. Pre- I don't pretend what they are. All right, whatever. All right, Genesis chapter three. When after the fall of man, God, I'm gonna get back on track because I love I love <laughs> my dog go. John Wesley Reuter Grobadial, which is that's his name by the way. John Wesley, even though he's not an Armenian, uh, he's he's a eternal security dog. Um, he's he truly is. Uh, he's very secure in his salvation at this point. Um, so Jesus or God says to uh, to the serpent that he curses him. Mm-hmm. And he, and then he also gives a promise to the to Eve when he curses Eve. He says you're going to have pain in childbirth, but your offspring are going to crush his head. Speaking of serp, serpent, and he will he will uh, uh, he will bite your heel. He will. So in other words, uh, I'm trying to find the scripture. <laughs> <laughs> the top I mean, I, I think everyone is probably familiar with that. Yeah, it's a it's a classic messianic prophecy, hidden right after the fall that God was going to redeem mankind, and that that He would be stricken by Satan, but He would crush Satan's head, mm-hmm. and it would be an offspring of a woman of mm-hmm. coming through woman, and and so that Messiah was going to come as a human being, and uh, at some level He was, and we've talked yeah, about yeah. Yeah. so so that's an example of near far. So it was near in the sense that yeah, guess what. The sting of sin is going to be affecting you right now. You're going to feel the 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 pain of this. The the everything's cursed. The ground's cursed. You're going to have pain in childbearing. But in the long term, this same phrase is going to be used to point back to my Messiah and point to towards a Messiah that's going to come. The future Messiah that's going to come. So it has near and far implications. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a small example. There's a, I use that one example about you know Isaiah with uh, Assyrians, you know cursing yeah, yeah. Assyrians. You know um, those didn't happen for hundreds of years. God spoke it, um, so it took a long time to happen. Um, there was there's some other thing other examples of that are largely messianic in nature of the coming of Christ. Um, uh, and so, uh, the, what I want to say is that the Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus was speaking all these things, they were both near and far because the very first example he says is the disciples look at all these stones, look at the beauty of these buildings. And he says, Hey, I'll tell you the truth. Not one of those building, not one of those stones are going to be on top of another. And he says, Oh, so that was a, that was a near, a near prophetic utterance, but it was also has far reaching implications because it's going to speak he's going to speak to the future as well right beyond that near experience so he's so he and he's you have it's not like oh it's not so easy this was fulfilled once and we just disregard it because it was like a specific thing was fulfilled once so we shouldn't look at it any further yeah and and it's it's a bit of a challenge to read it in the, and I admit this, it's a bit of a challenge to read Matthew 24 and figure out what's talking about in Revelation and what's talking about, before, you know, 70 AD. Mm-hmm. The, there's some challenges to that, but but what ha- what you have to do is you have to line up Daniel, you have to line up 
Revelation, you have to line up Matthew, you have to line up all these things that are all talking about the end times, and you have to kind of put stack them on one on top of one another and see where they line up and where they meet. That's that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. So let Scripture confirm Scripture. Yeah, you know, let the Bible confirm itself. Um, and that's the best way to, to look at it from an eschatological... Eschatological... Yeah, from from the end <laughs> es- times eschatol- standpoint, yeah. how it's going to all play. So I think it, I think that Matthew 24 is one of those... It's a classic example of a near-far prophetic utterance. And I think that's the answer for it. So you don't have to... You don't have to pick a camp of praetorist, semi-praetorist, futurist, or idealist, or any of those things. You can look at this and say, some of this has already happened and some of it's still yet to come. And you can be completely. We can be completely fine with that, mm-hmm. because when we talk about the coming of the Lord on the clouds, it's going to be unmistakable. But yet, it hasn't yet happened. But according to the Praetors, it has happened because it came in the form of judgment. Mm-hmm. So they misinterpret what the cloud coming on the clouds really means in that sense. And yeah, it is coming on the clouds is a reference to judgment. I don't deny that in any way. But in this situation, he's talking about establishing his kingdom, and there's going to be some amazing things that are that are in line with it, specifically that aren't spoken in other parts of the scripture. Right. So he talks about Isaiah, thunderclouds with, you know, the uh, the Syrians, and it's going to come upon them. It's going to be dread, lightning, thunders. You know, that's the day of the Lord. But the, this one, it's like angels are coming, and it's going to be, you know, glory, and there's going to be majesty attached to it, and these things that are, you didn't see that with Isaiah prophecies right, on the right. day of the Lord, right? So, all right, so that's done. Yeah, that's all I got. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I was trying to find another one. Um, uh, oh yeah, okay. Well, here's another good one. So, uh, the Book of Daniel, mm-hmm. he uh, prophesies um, about the end times, about the kingdoms, and he has a vision of this of Nebuchadnezzar. You know, his and it's a vision of like a, his head's made of of bronze, and his body's or his body's made of bronze, his head's made of gold, and his legs are made of brass with clay mixture on his feet and it's like uh, all of these represent um future uh future kingdoms to come Mm -hmm. and so every one of the parts that are mentioned in in daniel i think it's chapter eight are references to like the the babylonians and the then the persians then the greece the medo persians of greece and then the roman empire and then there's a final one that's the fee and the feet is fulfilled in Revelation because it hasn't yet to come. It's a, it's the it's going to be the new world order. It's the ten nation confederacy, confederacy because yeah. it's clay mixed with with brass, and you can't do clay and brass. They don't like just from a standpoint. It's not going to give you a, a especially feet, right? Mm-hmm. But what it is, if you start from the head and you work your way down, you realize that that's going to be it. That's the last human ruling order on earth will be this confederation that the antichrist puts together Mm -hmm. and so that's a near far right he's speaking about kingdoms to come in that way perfect example has that happened yet no it hasn't has the roman empire happened yeah but there's the roman empire where the legs where's the the feet Mm -hmm. and so it's going to have brass it'll have likings of the roman empire remember the, mm-hmm. anti- the Antichrist is going to want a 10-nation ten, ten confederacy just like the Roman Empire had. Wants to r- rule like a Roman Empire. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah. Who is that? Uh, the French dude. Macron. Oui, oui. I will have crepes for everyone. <laughs> and French fries. <laughs> Macron, the Antichrist. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Heresy abounds. 
He probably is. I don't know. I, <laughs> look, man, I don't know. I get I get wigged out a little bit when I think about it. I don't even like to talk much about it, but because first of all, you don't want to lay claim to who you think he is. Because yeah, of course not. We're just or, making jokes, right? We are making jokes, but but if he is, he's way different than I thought he would be. Yeah, he's way more feminine, and he had an, he, his wife is like. Or his, yeah, his, his wife. teacher, his wife yeah. was like, his wife is like his old teacher or something. It's so yeah. weird, man. Yeah. And they do, there is a verse that talks about, why are we whispering right now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I don't want him to hear. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, there's a verse that talks about how he won't have affections towards women. Mm-hmm. What? So anyways, maybe she's not a woman. Oh. <laughs> I don't think he has kids. That's not far out there to think that anymore. Yeah, and I mean, they're French. I mean, you think Michelle Obama is a guy, so. Because she is. He is. That's not a thought. That's a fact. Well, her her book is Becoming Michelle Obama. Isn't that what it's called, Title. I think it's something like that, yeah. Yeah, so. Mm. Yeah, maybe we can do a whole episode. <laughs> no, I'm just that's kidding. Some, There's not enough some, about that. That's but, some yeah. deep conspiracy stuff right yeah, there, Yeah, that'll buddy. get us suicided. <laughs> <laughs> Two bullets in the back of the head by suicide. And then dragged dead body down yeah. a couple hundred yards. Oh, man. Well, that that should be a question we'll have to ask some of our friends that work in uh, that whole yeah. scene. We'll see. Dude, so that's the Praetorist view, man. We have a... So we have we covered futurist idealists, which are idealists. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then I'm going to have all, I'm gonna have some idealists is going to message me <laughs> on Instagram. Do it. Hey, dude. Like, um, don't you realize it's symbolic and uh, you're you're like being her heretic. That's how they talk in my head Is when it? I read yeah. it. That's how they sound when I read it. Yeah. Anyways. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I I would agree. I, that's how I'd picture it too. Yeah, yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So maybe what we'll do in a future episode of End Times, because this is like a an open-ended yeah. series, which I'm kind of enjoying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I taught through the book of Revelation about 10 years ago, and I, I went chapter by chapter every week on a Wednesday night because I had 45 minutes to teach. 45 minutes, 20, it's like 20-some chapters through the book of Revelation. It took me weeks. Yeah. It took me a long time to go through the whole book. Um, I'm not saying that the End Times series is going to be that like that, <laughs> but... Um, Maybe what we'll do on a future one on end times is we'll talk about the seal judgments and the bowl judgments because we started the we started that with the four horsemen because those yeah. were the and the great white throne of judgment is a whole other thing. <sighs> yeah. So yeah. maybe. All right. So we we'll, we got more to do, yeah. and we have some great episodes coming up. By the way. Yeah, some really cool ones that are. Yeah. Very cool. We're gonna we're I got so like. Just as like I'm gonna throw out breadcrumbs or okay. is that what you want to call it? What is it like when you give a you nugget? Le- like a, a future. Just say nugget. you're giving them a nugget. I'm gonna, get, uh, I'm gonna throw a out future a, taste. I'm gonna, I don't know, a little I'm taste. gonna throw out a Chick Fil A nugget <laughs> for you to chew on and enjoy. Um, we have some really theological podcasts coming up that are deeper, and then we also have some that are gonna we're gonna focus on an area that we haven't really talked on too much is the political side of things. Yeah, we're gonna start kind of going in that area a little bit. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and then. Um, and then after, there's someone making a sign over here. We have—I don't know if it's good to have a live a live audience with us or not. They're they're more distracting than, uh, than anything. But uh, I think um, we're gonna have some political ones coming up, and they're gonna be good because there's actually people that we're not just you and I's opinion. Yeah. And so I'm I'm preparing like a little a little word document of questions that I want to ask a couple of these people. Yeah, yeah. We got some really cool people. Yeah. That, uh, 
that are really cool. So, hey, hang in <laughs> and, and listen, subscribe and rate us because we need you to do that <laughs> for the love of all things. Um, anyways. Listen, the end of times is coming soon. And are That's you right. going to want to sit and tell Jesus that you didn't leave subscribe. us nice? <laughs> <laughs> Not subscribe to All Out War. They're like, what did you do with All Out War? I put it right in front of you. You didn't subscribe. You didn't, you didn't leave a. It. You didn't leave a review saying it was. There's two cool dudes <laughs> that are shepherding the truth well. That's right. We're trying. Um, oh. Some would say we're heretics. Anyways, dude, it was uh, fun. I had enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed this one. Good. It was good. It, it's always a good reminder, as Jesus would say. I'll leave you with this: that He would say, "Be watchful, because you do not know the day or the hour." And so, I want to encourage whoever's listening. Be watchful. You do not know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be today that the trumpet could blow and we could see our returning Messiah. And how will you be greeted? <laughs> will you be greeted with, well done, my good and faithful servant, or will it be one of your head held down in shame? Hmm. I don't say that to condemn. Hey, there's opportunity to repent and change. That's the great news. Mm-hmm. And that's always the good news. Anyways. All right, guys, we love you. You got anything you want to add? No, I love you. <laughs> I was talking to our audience. No, but... that's what I was talking to, okay. too. Yeah. Well, you, you looked at me, and it was kind of weird. I have to admit. I don't know who else to look at. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you next time on All Out War. Bye. Thanks for listening to the All Out War podcast today. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you want to know more, you can visit us on the web at alloutwar.us or you can find us on Twitter at All Out Warcast. Hey, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.